I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right. So what what uh, what fake names are we going to go with? David. Yes. David, and then swing this around. June. David and June. Perfect. All right, guys. So I met both of you guys, I think, in my... Um, what, what class was it? It was Southern Baptist Heritage. Okay. You want to speak right into the mic? Okay. Let's come right up close. Yep. Southern Baptist Heritage? Southern Baptist Heritage. Perfect. Um, and uh, that was like, what did you guys think of that class? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I came in uh, a little bit, I don't know, not skeptical. Skeptical isn't the right word, but like, you know, there's stuff about Dr. Hall floating right. around. Yeah. And so I wasn't too sure about him. Uh, but at the, by the end, uh, we both really enjoyed it. We mm. really liked Dr. Hall and... We actually, I think he did the best job he could in making Southern Baptist history interesting. Yeah, that's that's true. I grew, I, like I've said this a bunch of times, that guy pulled out more respect out of me than I thought anyone could over the mm-hmm. course of the lecture, of like the semester. Just the way he would deal with really complex, difficult situations yeah. in class even. Like people lobbied some heavy questions at him and he just was really gracious and thoughtful. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so. for sure. Cool. And then you guys, um, how did the subject of, of jiu-jitsu even come up? Oh, was uh, it Jason? Jason. It was yeah. Jason. Yeah. Okay. Jason had, I guess he had talked to you about yeah. uh, jiu-jitsu or something. Mm-hmm. And, or you maybe you brought it up and something, he's like, oh, yeah. I know a guy. And so I already knew that about you, that you were interested in jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. or something. And so, yeah, I... I yeah, I think I introduced myself and yeah. started talking about jujitsu with That's you. That's hilarious. And then you guys, this I don't know, this probably might not make sense. To people who are listening. We'll, we'll bring this all around somehow. But then you started uh, a class at Southern in the in the gym uh, yes. to teaching teaching jujitsu, which has been so much fun so far for the few weeks that we've been doing it. I've really enjoyed it. Both of you guys are are teaching it. So yeah, how did that a- come? Actually, about? Uh, the guy who was sitting next to you, I don't even remember his name. Uh, he's the one who mentioned that the, the health and rec center was looking for like an instructor for okay. jujitsu. So it was at birthed out of the conversation with you actually that, uh, that we got this started. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun so Good. far. Good to hear. So, yeah. So, and then, and then you mentioned when we were there that you guys, some of the work that you two have done, um, with jujitsu was in Thailand. Um, doing work with was it like trafficking human trafficking victims yeah yeah cool and then that was like that was fascinating so i'm like hey would you guys want to sit down in front of a mic and just talk about your story and your journey and how you how you got there and the work you guys did and you were down to do that so i'm stoked for sure yeah so how did let's let's go back how did the two of you guys meet you want to talk about this (laughs) (laughs) so brian and i met um, I think in 2018, I was over in Thailand teaching English at our church and Brian was there because he couldn't get a visa any other way, <laughs> but to teach English. So, um, that's how we met in Thailand. And 
to be honest, we didn't like each other. <laughs> um, we really didn't talk to each other or anything. We both thought each other was, I don't even thought I was a troublemaker and I thought he was weird. <laughs> she wasn't uh, wrong. You are weird, yes. Um, anyway, um, then the Lord, I guess, opened our eyes. Um, I guess <laughs> dis- in December, yeah, on <laughs> birthday, he told me that he liked me and wanted to pursue a relationship. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then the funny thing was I wasn't supposed to be in a relationship the first year while I was in Thailand. Mm. And so um, we had to only be friends until my year had was up. And so my year was complete on July 4th. So that was our Independence Day to date uh, and, you know, to be American, I guess. So we had our first date and then um, I moved back to America like a week later. And Brian followed, I guess a few days later, you moved back to America for, for us to get married. Okay. Yeah. So he went back to America in July, like we knew we were going to get married. Um, and then... The end of that month, he asked me to marry him, and two days later, we got married. Wow. In the courthouse uh, for, it was more for like visa and passport purposes, and mm-hmm. then we had a more formal wedding in October, and then we moved back to Thailand. So, yeah, it's a quick... Crazy. Quick turnaround, but I guess when you know, you know. Yeah. So what, what brought you guys both to Thailand like in the first place? Because you're teaching ESL, mm-hmm. both of you. What, how did you guys get there? Like what, what was it to do mission work as well? Or is it just kind of vacation or like just like seeing the world? Like what, what, what kind of brought you guys to that place? Yeah. So, um, I did my undergrad degree in intercultural studies. So mm-hmm. I knew that I always wanted to do mission work. And then this opportunity just kind of fell in my lap more or less. And, um, they asked me if I wanted to come alongside their church and help teach English and, um, move over there for a year. And I was like, okay, sure. So I graduated and then moved over within two months of graduating. And that's what I did mostly was teach English um, at our church. And then we would go out to um, different schools around, I guess, the city that we lived in. And we would teach classes there as well. So that was my main role was English teaching. Nice. Yeah, go ahead. Uh what brought me to Thailand was the anti-sex trafficking work with SWAT ministries. Um, like when I was in college, I knew that I wanted to do uh, like anti-sex trafficking work. I felt like the Lord was leading me to do that. Hmm. And uh, I started doing like martial arts, um, started with Krav Maga, and there was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu club at um, the university I went to, Liberty University. And uh, and so I had been doing martial arts, and my uh, college pastor had done some work, or his, his wife actually did some work with SWAT. And so I got connected with SWAT that way, uh, found out more about it, and then um, I liked it. So mm. I had an internship in the summer of 2016 with SWAT, uh, and I went over to Thailand. What does SWAT stand for? SWAT stands for Spiritual Warriors Against Trafficking. Cool. Not SWAT, the... Uh, Not the SWAT, the guns smash, blazing yeah, people. Smash down yes. doors people. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I had my internship, and then 
finished up my degree um, and basically moved straight back over. After I graduated, I just fundraised and moved over uh, at the end of 2017. Okay. And so the teaching ESL was just sort of the reason to be able to get down there? And your main work was with, with SWAT? Yeah. So if you know anything about missionaries, you know, visa problems are <laughs> universal. And so yeah. SWAT was not a registered foundation in Thailand yet. And so they couldn't give out visas. So I I worked for this uh, ESL ministry slash the church um, and got a visa that way. So okay. I taught English like two times a week and got a visa that way. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and then both of you guys, you guys ended up at the same church then or similar? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, well, you have the mug there. Yeah. Uh, Banatitan plug. What an interesting language or like, like script. It is very wow. interesting. By interesting, I mean like impossible to decipher for someone who doesn't know. So is this is this um not Indonesian? This is Thai. Thai. Thai writing, yeah. Huh? Yeah, for anyone who's listening, go Google the Thai alphabet or Thai writing. It's it's kind of beautiful. It is, yeah. It I think it's uh it comes from like Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. Uh and the way they write is really interesting because it's like you have the consonant and then the vowels kinda orbit the the consonants i guess more or less you could describe it that way so yeah, it's, i mean that sounds interesting it sounds <laughs> not a fun journey to learn but did you guys both learn <laughs> part of the language i guess uh yes i i can speak more than i can understand okay like my listening comprehension isn't as good as <laughs> june's but uh <laughs> that's fine uh, but, it's, i'm gonna bleep out some stuff so right. we'll be all right um my listening comprehension isn't as good as is. Um, and then she can't speak as quite as well as I can. So when we put our heads together, we can have a good conversation. Gotcha. And then did you guys learn the writing, like the, the written system as well, or mostly spoken? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. So, um, yeah, tell me about SWAT. And then, and then you got, then you started working with SWAT sort of through David or whatever your fake name is? <laughs> yes, is that, is that how that worked? Or Daniel David? We said something. It's David. David. It's yeah. David, okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. not technically. Um, I got plugged in with SWAT because uh, John and Chrissy, the founders, they went to our church. Okay. And it's not in my picture at the time where I mm-hmm. started being interested in them. Um, but yeah, this is a fun story to tell. So, um, John and Chrissy invited me to come to a community outreach they were doing where they were going to teach, um, self-defense to girls who, who were trafficked or were being trafficked and some who had been rescued Hmm. from being trafficked. And I was so excited to do it just to see what it was all about. And I went with them and we were there and I recognized this Thai girl and I was like, how do I know this girl? And I realized that she was in the class, my first ESL class. Really? I had been teaching her, um, I guess, for like 
four or six months I had been teaching her and then she just kind of stopped coming to class and I didn't really think anything about it. But um, we kind of tried to follow up with her and we found out that um, she was living at this children's home and she didn't want to go to the school that they were sending her to. So she went to live with her sister and her sister, um, I guess, more or less told her she had to bring in some money and send her to a bar. Mm. And luckily for her, the rescue guys found her before anything could happen to her. So that was, you know, a God thing that, you know, the Lord kind of protected her from that. But it was just really sad and it broke my heart and made me realize uh, the reality of the situation because I had made a personal relationship with this girl and here she was like, like just recently had been rescued from a trafficking situation. So that was the Lord bringing me into that very personally. Gotcha. And then what's your, what's your history with jujitsu? Like, did you, have you, do you learn that beforehand, I guess? No, that was all. Okay, cool. (laughs) Brought me into jujitsu. Oh, sorry. I forget your name is David. Anyway. I'm I'm just keeping notes whenever I I got to do stuff. We'll, we'll, We'll figure it out. So David brought me into jujitsu. I started going with him uh, to classes whenever we got married and moved back over there. And so I only did it for nine months until COVID happened. Okay. So, well, I guess nine months and COVID was happening during the time. But Gotcha. Did COVID hit Thailand pretty hard? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty hard. I mean, I guess it hit everywhere, but everyone's got different reactions to it, yeah. right? So They reacted very strongly. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, I, I know I know something about strong reactions being from Canada, so... Mm, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, anyways. Yeah, go ahead. And also, uh, in Thailand, you don't have freedom of speech, so, like, mm. we, we can't, like, talk bad about the government or anything, especially mm. if we're connected to uh, any certain organization because, like, it's a shame on our culture, so if you shame the culture, then that's super bad in in their eyes and so uh yes they reacted negatively okay. <laughs> to the virus okay but uh but yeah i wouldn't want to so like, yeah so did everyone sure i think i think they handled it all right the common person handled it all right gotcha all right um <laughs> yeah so they, they have an honor shame culture there oh yeah how, how much different is that from being in america it's well i think uh in some ways america is starting to shift more to an honor shame mentality hmm. um but it's definitely not to the degree of like a lot of eastern cultures like in thailand where they are very much like more community based um and yeah very much honor shame it's about like their whole whole moral compass revolves around whether you look good or not mm. to those on the outside. Interesting. Yeah, I um there's a book I read called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And a lot a big portion of the book was around like orienting a Western reader to an honor shame society. And I haven't never experienced one, so I can only guess how good it was. But it was really helpful for me to, to kind of read a little bit about those cultures, especially because the Bible was written in primarily an honor-shame society. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, you know, God honoring, 
you know, people is not just this cool term that we throw around, like a cool Bible term. It was really, really relevant in their culture. So I thought that was very interesting. It's yep. a book I highly, highly recommend to like anybody. It was, yeah. it was really cool. He loves that book. Yeah? Yeah. We started it together, but we never got <laughs> We didn't make it very far. <laughs> gotcha. Do you read a lot? I feel like you read a lot. Because Definitely. I'm reading right now. Because you're reading right now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Good grief. We were doing terrible on the whole name things. I've said it a few times here. I do enjoy reading. Yeah. Cool. Um, paint me a picture, either one of you, of the the like the sex trafficking situation in Thailand. Like, and and can you outline the the problem as a whole? Because it's it's really it's, sometimes it's hard to define or really wrap your head around around sex trafficking. I, I know a little bit about it, and I'm honestly asking because I don't. I want to know what it's like there because I know a little bit about the, some of the situations in North America. I went to a, to a conference for a couple of days that really was about that and kind of walking through what that looks like in a North American context. And it's just complex, right? It's not like, it's not just like, you know, grab a girl, tie them up, some like horror story kind of stuff. It's often like relation based and, and it's just really, diff- yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly hard and incredibly difficult to kind of work in those situations. What's it like for you guys? What kind of stuff did you encounter down there? Well, I just want to say that I, I think in America it's more hidden or mm. kind of like people just kind of brush it under the rug. But in Thailand, it's very much more in your face. Okay. And I guess people aren't really trying to hide what they're doing, especially like just driving down the street on our motorcycle. We'd see like bars and women So you're like, oh, okay. I just feel like in America, you don't really see that as much. You just see a club with black glass and you're like, hmm, I wonder what's going on in there. Right. And then in America, um, it takes, it seems from my limited experience, it takes on a, a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. So you have like, like, you know, the low level druggie who sells their daughter off for like a hit of meth or um like to get some money like mm. low level stuff and then you have like the the higher level um rings that are involved with cartels and um like near the Mexico border um a lot of people are trafficked like i have a i have a friend who messaged me a couple of weeks ago uh that in his apartment complex someone someone saw like this like big middle-aged guy uh come out of a truck and then uh a girl falls out of the truck like drugged up and she mm-hmm. doesn't have any clothes on and uh he like throws her back in the car and takes off uh and this is in Dallas I think he's in Dallas um and then the car like speeds off but the cops like find him and arrest him so like there there is that stuff that goes on um but in thailand it's much more um it's much more again going back to that honor shame culture stuff it's it's in plain sight but it's totally denied uh so if you were to go ask somebody ask like a Thai person if 
trafficking or if prostitution goes on in Thailand, they'd be like, oh, no, no, it doesn't happen. You go show them the red light districts in Bangkok. Oh, this, these girls aren't selling themselves. They're just buying some, they're just hanging out and getting drinks and mm. uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, but it's so obvious uh, and uh, and then a lot of it is also, uh, I guess, more more of that low level stuff. There is, especially in certain cities, um, they have like Russian mafia there. Um, right. But a lot of it, especially where we were in our city, it's like you know the the dad is an alcoholic, so he needs money to get drunk, and so he tells his daughter to go work in a bar Hmm. and the daughter like has no other choice because she wants to honor her parents um and so she goes and does it even though she doesn't want to right man that's that's heavy that's complex yeah um so what you know what what does SWAT do how does that what's their strategy like how do they how do they work in that situation? Yeah, so SWAT. Do you want to talk about it? Or you want me to? Okay. <laughs> SWAT uh, deals mainly with um, uh, the training side. Mm-hmm. So we have traveled like we we don't work just in Thailand. Uh, we work in uh, India, the Philippines, Indonesia. They've been to Dominican Republic. Um, they were going to go to South America, but that got shut down thanks to our good friend COVID and Cambodia. Um, yeah, so we like we we have worked all over the place. Um, what was your question? <laughs> yeah, I, I just even like oh, what does SWAT do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So SWAT SWAT trains. Uh, frontline workers, so like rescue agents who actually go into bars and brothels to rescue kids. We train them in self-defense, like surveillance, like how to basically keep themselves safe. Um, We train the kids who've come out of trafficking themselves um, in just how to protect themselves and how to stand up for themselves. And then we train, like, security personnel, um, sometimes law enforcement as well. Um, Like, say, they have a safe house, and they have security staff protecting the safe house from outsiders. And then also, like, these kids are traumatized, so they do get violent sometimes. And Mm. so we teach them how to keep out intruders and also how to safely subdue kids, um without hurting them. Hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of different things going on yeah. at once. <laughs> it um, is. Uh, so talk to me about like the, the frontline people. Is, did you guys do any of that work yourselves? I did. Yeah. Okay. I've done a bit. Walk me through what, what's that like? I mean, frontline sounds like you're, you're actually in like in these bars, in these places. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Um, a lot of the so we we worked with several different partner organizations. The ones that are the one that I went out with, 
I think every time, um, is Destiny Rescue. It's an Australian-based organization, mm-hmm. and uh, they're probably the organization we work with the most. Um, but yeah, basically, like we would go in uh, to bars or brothels that um, they had identified uh, where they had identified like a, a target, someone who... Usually it's someone who's below the age of 18 or appears to be below 18 just because like logistical purposes and government garbage. Mm. Um, it's really difficult to prove that women are trafficked if they're, um, if they're adults. Right. So mainly they would focus on minors because like you're automatically considered trafficked in those cases. Mm. And, uh, and so we'd go in, look for uh, women who are usually women who would uh, who appear to be below the age of eighteen, and uh, confirm that they're being sold. And then in those, in that case, uh, they have two options. They have law enforcement route, um, which they bring the evidence to the police. They uh, perform like a raid or arrest the perpetrators and get the girls out. Or if they don't have law enforcement support, they make an appointment with the girl and uh, a social worker. And then the social worker meets with the girl and offers them a way out. Um, They'll provide housing and food and um, vocational training and things like that. Gotcha. So for like, for determining like that process of like really getting like the evidence of if this girl is being trafficked or not, like, do you almost have to pose as, as a client in, in a case, like ask in that way? Like, is that like the primary way you guys get that? Or do you get that by talking to different people or like how, how, what, what kind of constitutes like, okay, we've got what we need as proof. Yeah. Um, it sort of depends on which country you're in, what setting, mm. like how your relationship is with the government. Um, but yeah, like they go in posing as Johns, that's what they mm-hmm. call them, I guess. And uh, and so you're like a potential client um, to confirm, like if the girl is underage, like usually they lie about their age. So right. there are different right. ways you can... Um, <clears throat> trip them up, I guess, uh, to get them to reveal their true age. And then, uh, uh, and then in terms of like gathering evidence, usually they'll do what's called a drive-by. So they'll, um, pay for the girl, but then they won't go through with the act. So like they'll, uh, they'll pay for the girl or be like, Hey, can I meet you tomorrow night? Here's the money for it. And then if the the pimp or the mama son, uh, like accepts the money. They just won't show up the next night. Um, things like that. Okay. Gotcha. Awesome. And then, um, so then, then there's that side of that. And then you guys, I think you spent a bunch of time doing training, like training jujitsu. And then you trained both kids and adults in like the defense situations. Correct. Yeah. Cool. What's it like to, to teach like younger, like underage kids jujitsu? Um, well, it's not strictly jujitsu, but jujitsu okay. is like 
basically jujitsu is all of the groundwork um, and then some of like the takedowns and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the concepts behind jujitsu are universally applicable. Um, but it's, it's interesting teaching younger kids, uh, especially if they have like a short attention span. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're just like any other kids. Um, like, I mean, they've been trafficked, but they're still kids. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you'll find that they take things a little more seriously if they feel that, uh, this is actually going to help them. Mm. Um, like if they've been in a, an abusive situation, tell a story about that. Um, or June can tell a story (laughs) about that. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but yeah, man, it's really, they're just kids like short attention span. They can get aggravating sometimes and totally, (laughs) totally. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've led, uh, I've been a camp counselor at summer camps for a good portion of my life. So I know what it's like to, to deal with a rowdy group of eight year olds. Yeah. June, do you have a story? Yeah. So we were, it was my first time to go outside of Thailand to train self-defense with SWAT. And we went to Indonesia, um, to, I don't know, what what would you call it? Like a, a safe a home, safe a safe village, more or less. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Chrissy and I, we were able to teach self-defense to the girls. And not all of the girls there had been in trafficking situations. But I guess most of them were in like abusive situa- situations. And so there's this one girl. Um, I really bonded with her. I don't know why. She was just uh, really happy and she loved to talk and loved to learn. And so her and I, I guess, just bonded really quickly. And so the first day we were there, Chrissy and I, I don't know, taught some basic escapes if a mm. man were to come and, um, I don't know, grab them or something, grab their arms, grab their hand or their body, I guess. And the next day she came back, but um, she wasn't happy. And I was like, oh, what's wrong? You know, asking the other people was wrong and um, their leader came and told us that that night her dad had, I guess, punched her in the back and was being really abusive to her. And I was just so blown away because I was like, wow, here's this girl, like she's learning self-defense because her dad is being abusive and trying to take advantage of her. And, you know, we just went and sat down and talked with her about what was going on and um, just tried to help build her confidence up. And so like a few minutes passed and she was, as, as she was learning, she got um, more confident mm. and she began to smile again. And it was just, I guess, so mind blowing to me to watch like such a, an emotional roller coaster, but then also to see how, um, how learning self-defense gave her that confidence boost she needed. And then also because she need she needs to know this because she's in this abusive situation and it was just a bit more real to me than oh we're just training girls you know to do self-defense mm. because I mean I know that you know there are going to be times where they are put back in a vulnerable position but I guess it happening that night before and then her coming back to learn um, to be able to get away from her dad was just really overwhelming um, but 
I guess it showed us or it showed me or reminded me the reason that we are doing this and Mm. why it's very relevant and um, needed. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. That's powerful. So is, is SWAT a Christian organization? They are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so I guess, is that kind of like woven in with a lot of what you guys do is like sharing the gospel? Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Um, we try and teach the girls. Well, I worked mostly with the girls and David worked more <laughs> with the men. And so we just try and teach them that they're, uh, you know, made in the image of God. And because they are made in the image of God, um, like they should carry themselves um, well, and they should be confident knowing if they are the, in the image of God. And because, you know, God loves them so much that he died for them that, you know, we're here to help them so that they don't have to be in those situations anymore. And it's, um, I think, you know, to be honest, I think that God, God's love is the only thing that can really offer them a way out Mm. because, you know, they were, were treated basically as trash or like as an object and, you know, nothing else in this world is really going to kind of, uh, fix that brokenness other than the Mm. love of Christ, um, and showing them that they are valued and worth, um, you know, more than jewels and they're very precious and priceless. That's incredible. That's such a, that's such a, like You'd almost be like, if you were to say, like, we're going to tie theology and jiu-jitsu together, you'd be like, okay, that feels forced. But when you walk it through like that, like, and considering the situation these girls are in, you're like, yeah, that is a seamless tie. Like, your value as a person before God should lead you to to value yourself. And, and part of that defense, I'm not saying it well, you guys said it way better. I'm not going to even bother <laughs> recapitulating it. That is really cool, though. Yeah. So how long were you guys doing all this together before you came here? I only did it for a year and did it for three years Okay. or two years or sorry. David did it for two years. Three. Oh my goodness. You told me two. Three years. Yes. You can say gotcha. <laughs> What do you feel? Um, yeah. I mean, do you have any other stories from, from that time that were really impactful for you? Like I've, Stories are great, and you shared one that was really cool. Do you have one that, that's off the top of your head? I'm going to tell Brian the one that he should tell. The one from the Philippines. <laughs> share the one from the Philippines. David, I should share the one from the Philippines. No, Sorry. I'm really bad at this. No, it's okay. It's good. I'll... Yeah. My name is David. Yeah, just have it like written on, on his hat or something like that. Just a little, little, little tag that sits down. Hi, my name is David. <laughs> No, I'll go through. I'll have a the beep thing, sensor thing, and I'll I'll, I'll try and get catch all of them. You got your work cut out for you. Yeah, tell me about it. I got I got a list going down. It's good. I'm. You guys are cool enough to do this for you, do this for me. So I'll I'll go through. It'll be good. Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, the story from the Philippines, and then I think the couple of stories about like the power of prayer would be good too. Hit me. I'm places. I'm all yours. So the first one um, was actually when I I first moved over. This was like a baptism by fire for me um, because it was the the biggest, uh, most crazy operation I've been a part of. And uh, 
like that was like I flew from America, met the SWAT team in the Philippines before I even moved to Thailand. So I like I was there in the Philippines and just fresh off the boat uh, from America. And so you didn't even have a, a home no, per se at this no, point. No, okay. all my bags were packed still. <laughs> and uh, the the uh, group uh, that we were working with, uh, I guess it would be okay. Yeah, it would be okay to say destiny rescue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking specifically with this operation, but they have a documentary on it. So I assume it would be okay (laughs) to mention that. (laughs) Um, anyway, they asked the, the leader of SWAT, John, they asked him to go out uh, with them, but he he doesn't do stuff like that. But basically, he was like, "Oh, you should send, or you should send David." <laughs> oh, it's getting comical how bad we are at this. I don't know how I was ever undercover. Yeah. Just avoid saying people's names completely. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, he was like, you should send David. And I was like, okay, sure. And not really knowing what was going on, but, uh, it was a facility that was a few hours outside of where we were training in Manila. And it was literally in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know where it was actually. Uh, it was a, a resort that well it used to be a resort so it was like a walled compound with uh, several buildings on each side uh and it was just like a courtyard in the middle with these buildings Mm -hmm. and they had been turned from i guess hotel rooms into uh, ktv establishments uh like bars Mm. ktv karaoke like a karaoke bar that's that's mainly what uh you'll see is like ktvs because they have private booths that Mm. uh that you go sing karaoke in that's in air quotes yeah and uh and so a lot of those are just cover for brothels basically and uh so yeah i didn't i didn't know any of this when i said yes to it but uh, we, it was me, a couple other Destiny Rescue staff, and then um, there were several uh, government workers from different branches, uh, like police and um, and I don't know how much how much detail sure. I should be get into government workers. Several different government workers. Uh, like federal police, um, FBI, I guess the equivalent of the FBI mm. in the Philippines. And and uh, so it was like a collective effort. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was a lot of these guys. And John sent me to, uh, to also like get connected with some of these government workers so that we could potentially train them in the future and start getting connections with them and helping them out. Um, so 
as we were traveling, we were all traveling in like one, I don't know, little bus, Mm. I guess more or less a Philippines version of a bus. And so I started talking to this guy. Um, We'll call him, I don't know, Hades. Hades. (laughs) We'll call him Hades. Uh, Spoiler alert. That probably, that's that's foreshadowing for sure. Uh, so I meet Mr. Hades and, uh, and start to Jude talk to him. losing it, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, so I start talking to him and we, we hit it off. Um, he's kind of a goofy guy, uh, just recently had gotten married. And so we were, we talked for a lot of the way. And, uh, and so we get to this place and again, it was like, in the middle of nowhere, mm. like, so if something goes wrong, you have no help. I'm the only foreigner, probably the only white guy in, I don't know, a several hour radius. So I stick out like a sore thumb, which is actually why they brought me. Um, because when they see a foreigner, they assume automatically that they're not working with the police. So, and also... If you're a foreigner, you're probably rich. Right. So they're more willing to uh, hand over the goods, so to speak, with uh, with like a foreigner because they assume you're rich and you're not working with the police. So it decreases suspicion. Interesting. Yeah. And so I basically have no place being here other than just being uh, a warm body to <laughs> decrease suspicion. And uh, And on the way... These guys are, like, loading up their firearms and everything. Uh, Mr. Hades has, he has, like, uh, I think he had, like, a forty-four like, revolver, like, six-shooter, like a Glock, and then he had a Galil, which is, uh, like, a, an assault rifle-type um, weapon. And he stuffed it in his backpack with the stock sticking out. So there was obviously a gun sticking out of his bag. <laughs> and uh, the other guys just had like handguns that they concealed. And interestingly, the the non-government workers um, from Destiny Rescue, they weren't allowed to carry firearms, so they just had some knives or something. And uh, in some places, they can't even carry weapons, which is interesting as well. Okay. Um, but that was just a side note. Uh, so we we get there. Oh, <laughs> I'm terrible at telling stories. So they have all these weapons. They, uh, they're, like, fumbling around with them like we're in the middle of traffic. And they're, like, trying to load them. They're dropping bullets everywhere. I'm like, who are these people? Like. They're going to get me killed, and I have... This is, like, day two of working with SWAT. Um, it just... Do you have any, like, training at this point in this stuff? Like I do, yeah. Okay. Okay, so this is not, like, fresh out of college. Totally well, I am fresh out of okay, college, but, but I do have some training okay. under my belt, yeah. All right, continue. This still... This sounds... This is, this is fascinating. Go on. But, uh... But my confidence level in these guys was super <laughs> high, needless to say. And so we get there, 
And the plan was that they were just going to go in. We were going to have a few drinks. The leader of the group of Destiny Rescue had... um, he had a contact already. They had been to this compound before. So he had a contact, um, a little girl who was probably 13 or 14 years old. Um, he was texting back and forth with her. And so he wanted to um, to like just meet with her and talk to her. They were going to try and get some information, and then we were going to leave. Super simple. Um this this is really just the gathering information kind yes. of stage. Okay. Yeah, this is just gathering information um, in order to later come back and raid the compound. And uh, and so we. Uh, oh, where was I? <laughs> you're all coming in for drinks. Yeah. So the the plan was just to have a few drinks and then leave. I wasn't under seven. Uh, Southern's Covenant at the time. Okay. So I was Very to, important to note yes. at this point, yes. We do not want to step on any toes in that regard. Yes. All the Southern Baptists listening may cringe, though. Um, anyway. Because of all the diehard teetotalers uh, oh, yes. who are at Southern, all of whom who deeply believe in the Covenant and, and uphold it, well, both in mind and spirit. Well, that and all the Southerners who are against alcohol in any form gotcha yes anyway god bless you. now that i've offended a bunch of people <laughs> uh so we get there we're supposed to just have a few drinks and uh and so we sit down they bring out uh some girls to line up that uh they line up well they tell me that they before we get in there. They think that they have boys at the compound too. So lucky newbie gets to be the one who likes little boys. So I'm supposed to be like, Oh, I don't, I don't like any of these girls. Do you have any boys? And, uh, this is hardcore acting. Like, yeah, this is undercover. (laughs) Thankfully you don't have to be a very good actor. Okay. Like all of them are actually terrible actors, but somehow I guess the Lord just blinds the eyes of all of the (laughs) the bad people. But like, you wouldn't believe how bad they are. (laughs) Anyway, they, uh, they line these girls up. I'm supposed to be looking for boys. So I'm like, Oh, I don't like any of these people. And then a couple of the guys, like nudge me and they're like, oh, choose one, choose one. I'm like, but I'm supposed to choose a boy. Uh, but uh, they take that line of girls out and bring in another one. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I have to pick a girl at this point. Um, so I just looked for the youngest looking girl there. And uh, so I choose a girl. She looked to be like 13 or 14 and um, the interesting thing was, by interesting, I mean sad, is that like when they're up in front of everybody, like they have smiles on their faces, they look like they ha- they're having the best time in the world. But as soon as I pointed at her, like you could tell she was on the verge of having like a panic attack. Because like she, I picked her, she turned around and she was like, like you could tell her breathing was really heavy and then she like 
took a second to collect herself and walked behind the other girls. And as soon as she like saw that I was looking at her, she like, like a light switch, her face turned back to smiling and happy. And so, um, she came and sat down next to me and we started talking and, uh, the girl that, um, what should I call him? Tom. The girl that Tom, let's call Tom the... Tom's not Hades. No, Tom okay. is not Hades. I don't want to lose track of Hades. I really <laughs> want to find out what happens to him. Yeah. So Tom is the leader of the Destiny Rescue Group. Tom, who has contact um, with this girl, we'll call her um, Lauren. <laughs> so Tom, that's Jody's middle name. <laughs> <laughs> so uh tom has contact with lauren who is uh appears to be 13 or 14 uh lauren comes and sits down next to tom as well and so tom and i are joking around or whatever i'm supposed to like make some jokes about uh tom sleeping with lauren and um tom is like Tom is playing like the the good guy basically. He's like, "Oh, I'm not like all these guys," sort of thing to help build trust mm-hmm. with this girl. And uh, and so like we're joking around, and then there starts to be like a commotion. Like I don't know what these people are saying because they're speaking in a different language, and everyone starts getting up. And I'm like, I don't remember this being part of the plan, and kind of the second-in-command guy at Destiny was like, tell them you're you're sick. And I'm like, uh, what's going on? And so it turns out somehow they decided to take all of these girls to a second location and do a uh, basically a, a drive-by. But uh, so what they were going to do is go into like a motel room and sleep with the girl like it looks like to everyone else they're sleeping with the girl but they're obviously not sleeping with them they they just make up an excuse so i'm not feeling well so so your your group pivoted plans midway through yes midway through i don't know how i still don't know how okay so so essentially what was gonna happen was tell me if this is right they were gonna go in get some information have a couple drinks yada yada peace out but now they were kind of moving almost a step further and actually quote unquote going through with it yes Okay, for the purposes of, I guess, getting more information. Yeah, or, or getting more evidence. Okay. But all of these guys have recording equipment, and I don't. So they have, like, their fancy little, uh, like, bag cameras and all that, mm. but I don't have anything. Um, and so I just had to, like, pretend I was sick and lay in the truck the whole time. But they, so, like, everyone gets up and... uh I still have no idea what's going on until we start loading up in the truck. Keep in mind, this is like, I think there were about seven guys. So there were like each of the guys had a girl. So there were like 14 of us crammed into the back of this truck. Now we go to a, a motel down the road. Um, 
I just pretend to get more sick along the way. And they're like, you know, helping me build up the story like, oh, are you feeling okay? Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and you could tell the girl that I chose was very thankful that I wasn't feeling well. Um, but we all went to this motel. Um, I stayed in the truck and just kind of tried to keep an eye out. Uh, for what was going on but all of these guys go into their separate rooms and uh the uh tom goes in with lauren and uh and while they were in there i was i I was able to see the recording um uh later on but while they're in there he's just like talking to her um asking like how old she is, when her birthday is, stuff like that, just making casual conversation. And uh, I think at one point he he asked her like, oh, do you like being here? Do you like doing this? And she's like, oh no, I don't, I don't like doing this. And, uh, and she would also like continue to lie about her age. She said she was like 21 or 22, but like, she looked like 13. Right. Um, and so basically they stay in their, uh, their rooms for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And then they start trickling back out into the truck. And, uh, and the, so my girl, uh, just kind of wandered off somewhere, I guess. And, her so when the guys start trickling back in her and lauren uh i guess they're they were friends or something because they they seemed to like stick together and then they came to hide in the truck with me and tom they saw the pimp uh running around uh because some more customers came up to the motel and so they, I guess they realized that and jumped in the truck and closed the door behind them so they wouldn't have to go back out and line up. And, uh, and the pimp realized that they were in the truck, so he, like, knocks on the door and tells them to go out. And so they line up, and these, like, literally 20 feet away from us, like, me and Tom are there watching as... Uh, my girl and Lauren line up for these other two random Filipino guys. And, uh, and one of the guys chooses Lauren and it was probably the, one of the hardest moments of my life because you want to jump out and like murder the guy. Yeah. Uh, but like you can't do anything. So we like literally just had to watch like 30 feet away from us. We actually have it on, on camera. Like, uh, you can see in the recording that the guy chooses her and they're like cleaning out the motel room and it's pitch black. This is probably 2 AM at this point. And you just see the silhouette, you see the open motel room door. Uh, you see the silhouette of the guy walk in and then the silhouette of a little girl half his size walk in and then the door shuts and like it's 
it sucks. Like you can't do anything about it uh, at that moment. Um, but yeah, that was probably the hardest moment of my entire life um, right there. So we wait that out. Everybody gets back in the truck and we we come back to the main facility and uh, and we all get out of the truck. I'm still pretending to be car sick, so I just kind of stay in the parking lot and uh, and watch everything that's going on. <coughs> and uh, the the guys start to come back in. Mr. Hades is actually the first one to come back in. And so it's him and I sitting in the back of the truck. And he pulls out his backpack. He had hid it in the front compartment. So he pulls out his backpack with the, the rifle sticking out of it and sits it on his lap. And uh, Tom had left his bag with the camera in it. He had left it somewhere. And so he was looking for his bag. So he comes to the truck and opens the door to look for it. But he didn't realize that the parking lot attendant who works for the bar or the compound, he didn't realize that the parking lot attendant was right behind him to help him like find his bag. Yeah. Uh, so the parking lot attendant shines a flashlight right over his shoulder looking into the truck uh, directly onto the bag with the gun sticking out of it. Oh, no. So obviously if this guy sees the gun, he's going to know something's up and it's not going to end well for us. So right at the moment, like everyone realized what was going on at the same time. So Tom opens the door and he's like, hey, is my bag in here? The parking lot attendant shines the light over his shoulder and all of us at the same time go, nope, it's not in here. And I like lean over to try and cover the gun and Mr. Hades like covers up his gun and uh, and Tom notices it and like shuts the door right away. And, uh, and then we just hold our breath and we're like, please, Lord, do not let this guy see this gun. Um and he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he did, he didn't say anything about it. Right. So that was definitely something that the Lord protected us from. Uh, so I about wanted to backhand this dude after that, um, especially after he's like fumbling around his gun and trying to put ammo in it while we're in the middle of traffic, pointing it at everyone while we were going there. Uh Needless to say, <laughs> I didn't like him too much at this point, but he was still like the major point of connection that, mm. that I had gotten with uh, government personnel there. And so, uh, praise the Lord, he didn't see the parking lot attendant. Praise the Lord, the parking lot attendant, attendant didn't mm. see any of that. So we, we loaded back up um, and left and so uh they got everything that they needed uh to perform a raid um so actually a couple months later oh i forgot the backstory to this place too <laughs> the backstory to this place 
was that uh, another organization that you'd probably know the name of actually attempted to uh, raid this place before. Hmm. This is like the rumor. Um, and it was a botched raid. There was a leak. Somebody, uh, some worker in the, the compound found out about it. And they actually killed a girl and buried her on the compound Jeez. to like make an example. Now, this was a rumor. I don't know if it was true or not. Um, but like we knew this going in there. <laughs> so uh, that sort of raised the stakes more. Well, we, uh, we got all of the evidence that we needed. And then a couple months later, they, uh, Destiny Rescue, and the government tried to perform a raid. And it actually, uh, it got, uh, there was a mole. They actually knew, I forgot like all of the backstory to this, but it's yeah. actually coming back to me now. So even, even before we went, one particular government entity we were working with, they knew there was a mole in that government entity. Yeah. And so also going in, we knew that there may be someone on the team who can't be trusted. So, so not only has there been botched attempts in the past, going into this, you suspected that there was someone on the team who was a mole. Correct. So, holy, holy immensa. <laughs> Go on. Yes. Um, so we get back. They try and raid the place. And like while the police are moving in to raid the place, someone leaked that the police were coming and they had to call off the whole raid. Um, praise God, no one got hurt. Um, cause it could have been really, really bad because like these guys were definitely not afraid to use force. Um, and so they, they tried to figure out why the raid got botched. And so they narrowed it down to, but you can't guess who it was, Mr. Hades. No. Yep. Mr. Hades was the mole and he was either getting paid off or getting benefits from uh, this, the some of the people from this compound. And so they got rid of him. Unfortunately, because of the situation, when I say got rid of, they I just mean they excluded him from the raid. Okay. As far as I know, he's actually still working in that government entity. Cheaper. Just because of the high level of corruption um mm. in there but you know they they just do what they got to do and yeah. so they work around these things <clears throat> and so they figured out a way to exclude him from the next raid and they successfully raided the compound a few months later um and at the time it was actually the largest single uh human trafficking operation in the Philippines. So it was, it was, yeah, big. Um, and they rescued a bunch of girls? 
Yeah. Uh, I forget the exact number. I think it was 80-something girls. Cow. Yeah. And was Lauren and, and the other girl among them? Yeah. Thank God. Thank the Lord. But needless to say, uh, I was very unhappy when I found out that the raid was botched, specifically thanks to Mr. Hades. Um, yeah. The, the Lord had to work in my heart to, uh, to be uh, able to forgive that, for sure. Yeah. Man, I don't, I don't know if I've teared up in a story on this podcast so far, but I, I did through that. That's so intense. That's, that's so intense. Yeah. And these guys, like these guys are out five or six nights a week seeing stuff like that on a semi-regular basis, um, which I can't even fathom. Like I just saw that something like that once in my life and it like it still chokes me up talking about it yeah i can't even imagine what what they have to deal with yeah man it's interesting though um there's a guy back home richard richard bout and he once told me and, and jamichael a friend of mine that he thinks god gives a spirit of adventure to people who, who are called to be like missionaries or, or to do this, this kind of work. And I can imagine that there is, you know, this, this is like, this is cops and robbers level stuff. And, you know, I don't want to, to, to make it any, enlighten it by saying that at all. But if you're someone who has a sense of adventure, I don't know how to say it better than that. Yeah. But I imagine you are called to do this, this kind of work. To some degree, I don't know. For sure, yeah. And like, to even to be a part of some of these girls' stories, in the sense that you you could be a part of of freeing them from that, like eighty ish, somewhere in the neighborhood, eighty girls. That's crazy. Like, um, I don't know. I'm shook. That's that's powerful. Yeah. And one other detail I forgot to mention, which I found out. Well, I found it out uh, probably a year later okay. when I visited is actually that compound was under the thumb of the mayor. Like the mayor of that province actually owned the compound and was running the whole thing. Man, that's insane. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, by the way. That's, that's just, that's a great, that's just a powerful story. I would love, I mean, I don't know. I don't, who knows where these podcasts go, but I would love if someone heard your story and wanted to get involved in that kind of work and not, I mean, don't do that lightly, but I, cause I imagine you said you have training, like it's, it's a long road to get to us to a place where you're in there, but like that, the payoff is like helping some of the most vulnerable people in the world For out sure. of one of the, probably the worst situations in the world. Yeah. There's nothing like it. That's for sure. Yeah. And one of the things that I kind of realized uh, through those few years in Thailand is that like, uh, in America and also in Asia, almost, well, especially in Asia, it seems like some people give the vibe that you have to almost suppress your manliness to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. like meek and mild Jesus, like Christianity isn't for manly people, Mm. but it takes an incredibly, uh, solid like 
man, like man of God, to be able to do stuff like that. And I mean, that's doing stuff like that is super manly. Like, <laughs> yeah, not not saying I am super manly, but like to do stuff like those guys do, like going out to bars like that five or six nights a week. Like that's some manly stuff. Like defending innocent uh, women and children like that. I, I mean, if you're involved in the story that you just told, I think you're a certified badass. I think, <laughs> I think you, can, you can probably get a plaque on your desk that says that. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Man, um, you said you had another story about about prayer being answered? Yeah, yeah. If, if you're um, willing to tell that, I'd appreciate it. Oh, for it. sure. Um, there are two times I can think of right off the top of my head. I think there was another one, but I can remember these two of uh, just like the power of prayer um usually whenever we would whenever i would go out to uh like a bar i would always like pray and read scripture beforehand Mm. and afterwards um and uh i i don't like to admit it but like in the middle of everything going on i wouldn't typically pray Mm. uh, like in the moment um but the few times i did it was like uh incredible how god came through um and one of those one of those was in thailand at a at a local place in the city we were in we needed to um get some evidence of a particular girl being underage and we'd Destiny Rescue had sent several teams to try and get this information, and uh, none of those attempts were successful uh, just because of various complications. And uh, and so I we were in the middle of talking with this uh, girl who appeared to be underage, and, like, we—it uh, was just me and one other guy, and— we are he actually suggested that we pray right before we went in which uh didn't usually happen we i'd you know pray back at the hotel room or in my room or whatever and uh so we prayed right before and then also like while we were in the middle of it i just prayed you know lord help us get this evidence that we need and there it was like we got the evidence that uh, we needed and we were able to do a drive-by like that night um, so that was one really cool answer to prayer very direct answer to prayer and then another was when I was in Cambodia um, we would there's like a, a main red light district in the the city we were training uh, the guys in and we were in this one particular bar, uh, and the girl didn't speak any English. And the mama-san, who's basically a female pimp, <coughs> she was sitting right there. So I, I couldn't really—and she was translating for mm. us or for me because um, I didn't speak uh, any uh, Kamai. And so I couldn't really get any good conversation started because it was through the mama-san. 
and I didn't want her to get like suspicious of anything. Um, so I went to the bathroom and I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. We need to get this, uh, this evidence and I can't figure out how to do it. So please help us get, get this evidence. And I walked back out and sit down and about five seconds later, somehow I realized that this girl can speak Thai. <laughs> and so at that moment, we just start speaking Thai and having an, an entire conversation in Thai and nobody around us can understand anything. Um, and how, how did you realize this? I, I don't even remember. Okay. Um, maybe she asked where I'm, where I live or something. I don't know. Um, but somehow like she realized that I could speak Thai and we had a conversation where nobody else could understand what we were talking about. And like, I was able to get the information that I needed super easily. So and that, and was, that moment she was just willing to tell you yeah like her, well, her age specifically or yeah her age her age and her name and her phone number i believe okay um like we still used uh means to get get her age um i mean i guess it sounds super vague so they'll say oh we're i'm i'm 20 years old or something mm. but they look 14 so you in in cambodia they're really into uh, like the the different animal years okay so like the year of the dragon and the year of the goat and whatever and each of those years correspond like i think there are 12 of them and huh? so each year corresponds to a different animal well if they're if they're like they won't lie about being born in the year of the goat, for example. Okay. And so it'd be like, oh, what what uh, animal are you? Uh, or what animal year? I don't remember the exact terminology. Sure. But uh, uh, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm the year of the goat. And so you look, and it's either like 1999 or, you <laughs> oh, know, like 1980-something. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, 1980s, they're not 30-something years old. Okay. So they must be like 18 or 17. Gotcha. Or and then are you usually, are you often recording this? As yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. So, gotcha. Uh, that's helpful. Like, that's, that's really, that makes sense. Yeah. That's, man, <laughs> using, uh, uh, is it astrology? Yeah. yeah, using astrology for the glory of God. That's hilarious. <laughs> there you go. Man, that's great. Yeah, um, we've been recording for an hour, hour awesome. and 15 minutes. Cool. I really appreciate you guys uh, sitting down and talking. For sure. Happy um, to talk to you. For sure. If someone was like even like like hearing this in Florida, which they should be, and wanted to get involved, what, what, do you, what would you recommend is like the maybe a starting place to kind of because I mean, you don't just hop on a plane and start volunteering, you know, with your with your church youth group with stuff like this. Yeah. Um, How do you begin this journey? With, uh, I mean, it depends on the route you want to go. If you want to do the training side, then SWAT Ministries is always open to have volunteers. Like maybe maybe you go over to do marketing or something. But mm. while you're there, like we can train you. Uh, of course, it's very difficult to find committed 
Christians willing to uh, do this sort of work. So, um, so SWAT, like John, is happy to train anyone who is willing to even go over there. Okay, um, that's one way to get involved. Um, like we've had youth groups and stuff like that come over. Like we always have. I say we always have. I still. I guess I'm part of the SWAT family. We're still part of the SWAT family, yeah, but yeah. we're just on hiatus right now. Gotcha. Um, but there's stuff that needs to be painted. Like, I don't know. There's, there's always, there's always, always, stuff, to do. always stuff to do. Gotcha. Um, so for SWAT Ministries, uh, you can go to SWATministriesintl.org. That's their website. Uh, and then if you want, if people are interested in more of the frontline efforts, um, one potential way would be um, r- Rescue Op. Um, that's the name of it, right? Oh. So there's a, there's a burn team that, uh, that we are partners with as well. Okay. Uh, I believe it's called Rescue Op. Um, they can probably just Google that. Um, and basically it's just you come out for a couple weeks and do some operations that the regular people uh, can't do for whatever reason. Sure. Um, maybe it's just to conceal their identity or their faces are too recognized at certain right. bars or something. Um, and basically you go over for two weeks and they train you on like how to get information out of girls and stuff like that. And yeah. Um, and yeah. Incredible. Um, yeah. I'm a little bit speechless. <laughs> Just, I appreciate you guys telling, telling these stories. We're so, always happy to. Awesome. Well, I'm also looking forward to jujitsu, um, tomorrow, day after Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Thanks guys. Really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the Volk. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>